Hey, it's Roger Rabel. Welcome back to Behind the Wealth. I'm here in studio with Mr. Elias Randall, and we're actually going to give him a new nickname. I had a listener um, and subscriber send me a message and say, hey, I really like the show. I'm sharing it a lot, but I do think Elias is boring. So we're going to talk about it. Why, Elias, why is it you think everybody thinks you're boring? So first of all, the person's right. I agree because I watch our show and I am boring. So all I'm going to say is, you know, no one's perfect and I'm new at this. So, but I am going to make more of an effort to not be so boring. So I don't know, maybe in a year from now, maybe I'll get more boring. Maybe I'll get better, but um, I know I'm not going to get better by not being on the show. No, I, I I just thought it was funny. It was actually one of my friends too. And I don't know if he was just being funny or not, but I thought it'd be uh, good, good feedback for the show. The other thing that we started last night was the poll for you to see what movies have you seen? And yeah. there's three out there. Um, I don't know what they were. Wall Street was one. What about Bob? Um, and there was another one that Jeff posted. I, I don't know. Have you seen any of those movies? No, so I guess the takeaway is I'm boring and I don't watch a lot of movies. It probably would help your boringness if you started watching some videos. So this week, your homework assignment is to watch Wall Street. Okay. So the next show, we're going to have you watch Wall Street. We're going to kind of know what you think about this. And then what I want you to do for that show, maybe this will help with you not being boring. Yeah. I'm is you can relate it. it to some financial concept or something that's happening in the finance world today, which I, th I think you'll find some parallels. So I think that'll be kind of neat. Yeah. And that's what we're going to do with each one of these movies that you haven't seen that. I mean, like 98% of people have seen <laughs> now, maybe it's just people my age, I guess if you're under 35, maybe you haven't seen these movies. So we'll keep a growing list. But if there's any listener out there that wants to know if Elias has seen a specific movie, and if he hasn't, he will watch that as part of his work assignment during work hours. Let us know. Uh, we'll run a weekly poll. And, and if we get enough actual like movie titles, maybe we can put a poll each week and let people vote on what title they want you to watch for the week. Right. And then we should have them rank like how boring my summary <laughs> was. So like on a scale of one to 10, how bored were you watching this? And just see if I can improve those numbers. I like it. And we could probably just even break that into like a small little weekly three minute clip that, that you can give your snaps. So with that said, um, you know, one thing we're going to talk about today, which is different because it's not a video and I guess maybe it's still boring, is one of these. It's a latte. Yep. And I can't tell you how many articles I've read or articles about avocado toast I've read that actually are poisoning the minds of people and telling them that this is the reason that you won't retire or you won't hit your financial goals. And I think it's wrong. I think you could drink lattes every single day and be a latte millionaire. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we're going to review the book, The Latte Factor today. And so in my defense, this is probably some boring financial advice, but I think a lot of times the boring financial advice is really the good financial advice out there. And recently, so like the whole GameStop situation, that's really exciting stuff to talk about, but that exciting stuff doesn't always produce the results people want in the long term. 
Yeah, I think one of the takeaways that most people get from this book that I got from this book is they're, in my opinion, these are three of the most important things people can do to become financially successful, financially free and hit their goals. Um, so how about you just kind of give us the background of what you want to talk today about Elias on the book and we'll, we'll take it from there. Okay, so the three secrets of the book, once you read it, it kind of summarizes and this goes along with our investing philosophy, but number one, pay yourself first. Two, don't budget, make it automatic. And then three, his third secret is live rich now. So do you want to touch on those starting with paying yourself first and what that means and how people can do that? Yeah, I've, when it regards paying yourself first, this is the one thing that a lot of people are either not doing it because they're not aware that you should do this because we've been led to believe by the mass, the vast majority of financial pundits and debt gurus and money people that you shouldn't pay yourself first. And, and here's the reason why. They believe that you should go create a budget. So, you know, as I was preparing for the show, I said, well, okay, let's go just Google what budget worksheets look like. So if you actually go to Google and type in budget worksheets, you know, pop and you hit images. That's the key. You hit images. because I want to see what they look like. I literally just started going down the line. And the first thing on every single budget worksheet was rent slash mortgage payment. Yep. Utilities, car payment, food, student loans, and all of them. The very last section was savings, retirement, fund money, which in my opinion is completely backwards. And there's a couple things you have to, to realize about why they're backwards and we'll hit on it, but there's power in paying yourself first, especially if you're young, right? You get to go ahead and utilize the power of compound interest. And if you look at the, the power of compound interest over 20, 30, or even 40 years for a young person, it's substantially better the longer you leave your money in. So the idea of paying yourself first just says, hey, if we're gonna go to work for 40 hours, what if we just one day paid herself for an hour a day. And this is what David Bach talks about in the book. So think about the normal person. They go to work on Monday and they work eight hours. Well, according to the budget worksheet, the first thing we're going to do is make our mortgage payment with that first hour. And his whole idea is what if we just flip the script here and we say, hey, the first hour of every day, we're going to pay ourselves first. And if we do that, we will be wildly successful. Yeah. <clears throat> so in one of the takeaways I I took from the, the pay it yourself first idea or that I take from it is, well, one thing I like about it, it's financial advice that has everything to do with your behavior and some decisions instead of like financial advice that has to do with alpha and beta and price to earnings ratios and all these things that people one really don't care about and two are more complicated to understand. So to me, this was like, okay, all I have to do is kind of change the way I think about my budget and make myself a priority. And that's going to start leading me towards uh, being successful with my fi financial planning. And that's something you don't need. You don't need a finance degree to understand this concept, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yep. It, it's super simple. And if if I just I'm going to go back to the book a little bit and how this kind of goes about is there's a gal named Zoe in the book and she walks into this, walks into a coffee shop. 
and she's talking to the barista and she gets her latte, which she gets every single morning. And Zoe's like stressed out because she never has any money and thinks she needs to get like this next super high paying job because she thinks more money will solve her problems. And she in in this coffee shop, I think it's called Helena's or Helena's yep. in the coffee shop. They have all this art and it's for sale. And she gets drawn to this one piece of art. And as she's looking at it, the coffee owner comes over. She goes, oh, and he comes over, and his name's Henry. And says, oh, what do you think about that? And they're talking about the piece of art. She goes, I wish I could afford it. And Henry goes, well, you can. You're probably richer than you think. And the point of this is that for Zoe, she was prioritizing the wrong things first. Right. She wasn't paying herself first, was deciding to have the latte and eat the fancy dinners and, you know, get the smoothie over lunch. So that's kind of how this backdrop all sets in this book is that, hey, there's things we can have in life if we decide to prioritize them. Right. Yeah. And that's I guess that's kind of one of our philosophies is it's not always about budgeting and skimping. Um, but if you're paying yourself first and doing the things right, well, now you can prioritize other lifestyle things that you'd like to have, too. If we did a show with Jonas, who wrote the book, The No Budget Lifestyle, and that is a little bit of the same theory as this David Bach book, The Latte Factor, in that instead of having a budget, design your lifestyle around what you want in life. So if you know, hey, I want to have a latte every day. All we really care is that you pay yourself first, right? You save 10 or 15% of every paycheck. And then if you want a latte, that can be the next line item on your list. And maybe that means you have to have a less expensive house payment or, you know, an inexpensive car. You're going to cut somewhere else. But as long as you pay yourself first, it's going to work out. Right. Right. So we talked a little bit about the book, kind of set the stage for how it works. Um, so where, where do you want to go next? Should we dive into some of the criticisms of this book and kind of our thoughts on that and what we think? Well, I think a lot of people have criticized this book, um, and I don't believe it's fair, but they've criticized this book because they said, number one, um, lattes are less expensive than he assumes. Well, who cares? Right. I mean, if you save a dollar on a latte, who cares? It's This is not the reason you won't retire. Jeff Rose... He's uh he runs the wealth hacker. He did a big video on how lattes and cars, the reason you won't retire. It's not the reason. The reason is they are never saving any money. This does not prevent me from saving money every day ever. Right. I have a latte about every day and I'm doing just fine. And most people would, but this is a priority of what I like to do. And if you think about it, I bought it, went and bought an espresso machine at my house. It's like the best latte machine you can get, right? You've been to my house. You know yep. what I'm talking about. Yep. Well, the pod to go in that machine is like a dollar and five cents. Well, then I have the milk and then I have the syrup. Well, okay, so I pay three and a half bucks for this or I spend a buck and a half at home. Is $2 really the difference? It's not. No. It's purely how people are prioritizing. So that's one of the knocks on the book. Two, they say Bach assumes unrealistic expectations. Well, he's assuming a 10% rate of return, which if we were to look back over the history of the stock market, it's actually a fair rate of return to probably assume. The bigger issue is he's assuming a linear return. And what I mean by that is he assumes that you make 10% every single year with no volatility. Well, you know how we figure out if someone's gonna make 10% how things turn out? We use Monte Carlo. 
Correct. And that's doing a stress test on your financial plan to, to assume a rate. But I wouldn't say 10% aggressive. It's just aggressive if you assume no volatility. In fairness, though, in the book, Zoe, when she does her personal calculations, she does one at 7% and one at 5%. So the, the criticism isn't fair of assuming uh, an unrealistic expectation of results. Yeah, and I took the book as, and some of the criticisms I read where I kind of took it and I thought, so yes, okay, I agree. You can't just, you can't forecast out a linear 10% compounding return every year. That's not really realistic, but the point of the book is you can make some small changes and priorities to set yourself up for success. So I felt the same where I was like, man, some of these criticisms are totally, they're totally missing the point. And I don't think David Bach and like, I don't think he wanted to write a complicated financial book. So he didn't, he just kept it simple. So people could say, okay, these are easy things I can do. This is manageable. This is actually a great read. It literally took me two hours to read the entire book. Yeah. And the like concept, 120 page book. It's 283 to be exact, but it reads like 120. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like big pages, big letters, or small pages, yeah. big letters. I mean, I don't know. I read it on my iPad. So maybe. maybe I think there's more pages on the iPad. Could be. The hard copy is like 120 or I don't know. I whipped right through. It's all I know. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the kind of the second component, Elias. Okay. So we've talked, we've talked about the thesis of the book and it's. Um, pay yourself first a little bit of um, a little bit goes a long way over a long period of time and then so his second rule was um, don't budget to make it automatic so he's talking about like specifically in the book he talks about your 401k contribution set it up so it just comes right out of your paycheck and we know with even self-directed accounts IRAs Roth IRAs all those things can be set up to uh, to make automatic payments um, so can you touch on that idea of just set this up to be automatic and make it easy on yourself? The beauty of setting up like an automatic process is you don't have to guess what's going to happen with the market. You don't have to decide if now's a good time to invest. We've talked about this in the past. The easiest thing to do is get out of the market. The hardest thing to do is to decide when to get back in. Yep. So that takes you know, that the automatic contributions completely remove that from the table because you're contributing when the market's high, when it's low in all the places in between. And it's actually one of the key concepts that, you know, we probably don't talk about as much for accumulators, but it's dollar cost averaging. And all that really means is if we're contributing money on a very regular basis, I'm buying all of the different prices that the stock market or whatever in investment we've purchased is trading at. And what happens instead of getting an up and down line, like those are your prices, you end up just getting this straight line, you know, in between that gives you a good average. So dollar cost averaging is key. But the other thing is, it doesn't make you emotional about the drops in my opinion so much. I'll give you an example. Somebody that has a 401k, especially a young person, right? And they're contributing. And even if you're older, and you're, let's say you're maxing this thing out and you're doing 18,500 a year, you're putting into your 401k or 19,000, whatever it is. And the market goes down a little bit. Let's say your market goes down a thousand bucks, but you put in a thousand that month. Well, you don't quite get quite as emotional about it because your account stayed the same. You didn't really feel that dip in the market quite so much. And now I know the market still went down in value, but you didn't feel it because you're like, oh, I still have the same amount of money. 
because you put money in. So I actually think mentally this helps people not get as emotionally tied to the ups and downs of the market because even if the market goes down, their account's constantly progressing forward. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, you know, that's something we talk about all the time is, one, you can't time the market. So that's, you know, that's great advice, the systematic, making it automatic um, with your savings and investments. You're buying on the way up, you're buying on the way down, which over time, and we, we know this too because we're advisors, but over time, all the research that we've done, um, your time in the market is more important than timing the market. And so having, to me, having a systematic plan, that keeps you on track for that. Well, I think here's another thing to think about. And, you know, some people listening probably are saying, you know, this is like really simple stuff. Uh-oh, we're boring today. We might be boring. <laughs> but this is one of the quotes on page. This is a quote of the book because I highlighted some quotes I really liked. And it's this is a quote. That's why it works. It's usually the simplest ideas that change people's lives, not the complicated ones. Absolutely. So if you think about it, all we're telling you is pay yourself first. Second, make it automatic. I mean, it, it can't get more simple than that. So I want to hit on the ways people can do this. One, the easiest and most effective way is if you have a employer-sponsored plan, you can start contributing that today. So if you're not paying yourself first, anybody listening to this, go to your employer-sponsored 401k, start contributing. Typically, there's a match. So this is the beauty of a 401k and a match is if you put in 4% of your pay, and the company were to match 4% of your pay, that's a guaranteed 100% rate of return. Yeah, and there's no investment decision. Every contribution. That. You just save some of your money. You double your money every single time you make a contribution to your 401k if you put in four and your company make matches four. Right. Don't care what the investment return is. You, you doubled your money to start. So if you're not taking advantage of your 401k match, we should automatically be doing that. Okay. Yeah, right. The second thing, if you don't have an employer plan, some people don't have an employer sponsored plan that gives a match or um, even offers a plan. There's a couple of things you can do. You can reach out. You can reach out to us at btwellshow.com. We'll show you how to get started. Okay. Or point you in the right direction. Um, or two, there's online places you can go open an account and get started. So you can't really use the excuse that I don't know how to do that. I mean, I just gave you two simple ways. Go to your employer or go to our website. Okay. So I just saw this quote and I thought it was, it was the beauty because sometimes we talk about complicated things and this is literally the simplest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, it is. So let's transition to a third secret. And this is one that was good for me. And this is an area where you know, depending on who you're getting your financial news from or, or your mentality, um, you know, the secret is live rich now. And so I'll just kind of share a little bit about, about myself and my, my relationship with money. And so in my twenties, I was way too frugal with my money. And I think I have, I wasn't like living rich now. And he's not saying keep up with the Joneses, but I sacrificed some lifestyle things because, you know, I wanted to be smart with my money where now it's more important for me to prioritize those lifestyle things 
Now, I'm not going out and buying a car I can't afford or anything like that. You're being responsible think, with it. I know you're responsible with yeah. it, but we've had this conversation driving down the road. Like, Right. It know. just goes back to me being boring. <laughs> I was too frugal. Now I'm too boring. Um, so anyway, yeah, let's touch on that, his live rich now idea. Um, you know, because I think one thing people – People think, oh, I have to sacrifice all this to save for retirement, and that's kind of, you're kind of missing you're missing the point. You're kind of missing the boat there, I think. So I've been doing this since 2002. I started doing this so a long time, and it's funny. The older you get, the more kind of reality sets in. Because when you're in your 20s, like all your friends are doing good, and nothing bad really happens to any of your friends in your 20s, right? And then in your 30s, you know, maybe you had like one friend who had an unfortunate circumstance in life. And then when I turned 40, it's like probably within a three or four year period of time, I had like four or five people that I, that were acquaintances or I knew well, or that were friends who passed away. I'm like, man, I wonder how they lived their entire life up until that point, because they could have literally been living by this budget idea that, oh my gosh, I, I have to do this budget, which, you know, a budget's like a unicorn like a good budget doesn't exist. It just, it's not going to happen. Like thinking you're going to live to this budget. It, it's a horrible life to live that way. Cause you're literally the slave to all these payments. Okay. Right. right. But I've gotten older and I'm like, man, what about the people that, you know, thought they had to do everything the right way. And I have to do this. And I can't spend any money on anything I really enjoy because I need to make it till 65 so I can retire. And you wake up 65 and you're like, what do you got? Like, six or seven good years in you. I mean, let's be honest. When you hit 73, 74, 75 years old, I mean, you can't do the things that you could do when you're 40, 50, and 60. So yeah, at, the longer right. I do this, the more I see it. And then you start to have clients that pass away and they're retired for eight months and they pass away. You're like, man, this guy put 40 years into this job to get to the point where he thought he was going to have this, he or she thought they were going to have this like great retirement. And they made it eight months or I've heard stories of people who get to retirement and then a spouse gets an addiction issue. Okay, when alcoholics, they don't know what they're going to do. Or I have a friend of mine, he worked till he was 62 and retired, and now he took a part-time job because he's bored. Well, maybe he could have lived life a little bit while he was going and enjoyed the things that were like really important to him and his family and just worked a little longer because clearly he still wants to work because he got bored. Right. So I, I don't know. I just see this where people like I want to retire when I'm 55 and when I'm 60. And I think it's more I think it has more to do with the stigma of being able to retire. I always whenever I do a financial plan for someone and, you know, someone's able to retire sooner than they thought or live better than they thought or just know they can retire and they're still working. It's funny how long they keep working. Because right. it's almost like you don't have to work anymore. So now you enjoy it more. Which I'm not there, so I don't really know. I'm just guessing. But. I have some clients who are, they've been clients for a long time. They're great friends. And from the time I met them, they're like, we're going to retire at this age. Well, they We're retired still. like five years after that age. Right. And the joke was, well, it's really easy to go to work when I actually don't have to go to work. Like, <laughs> if I don't like how things are going, I can just say, hey, enough is enough. And it just became, they didn't know what they would do with their time. So the whole idea of this this last part is really how can we enjoy life, but still get to our goals? And the key part of this, the only way it works is by that 
paying yourself first in the automatic contribution. And I go back to Jonas's book again. That's the thesis of his book. You know, for his family, vacations are super important. I mean, they go on vacation all the time. Yeah. So they cut other areas of their lifestyle. We're not saying live outside your means, prioritize what's important. So if vacations are important. You maybe decide to live in an apartment because it's $300 a month. So you can take $20,000 in vacations. Who cares? That's your life. You're living how you want. As long as you're paying yourself first and taking care of your responsibilities, who cares how you spend the money? Yeah. Right. Well, and in Jonas's book, he uses the example, um, so they use coupons to buy pizza because in their family, eating at the nice pizza restaurant isn't important, but that's where they cut back. So then they can go on a nice vacation. And, you know, he buys Casey's pizza, which I'm sure everyone loves, but he uses the coupons every single time and he always gets the deal. There's only two people I know, actually three, that don't love Casey's pizza. Okay, who's that? My wife, my mother-in-law, and David Portnow. Oh, Have you ever yeah, seen, yes. he came to Iowa because, you know, everybody bragged oh, about he, the breakfast pizza. Yeah. He's like, this is crappy breakfast pizza <laughs> <laughs> from a gas station. So my father and I always joke about this, though, because, you know, we're always like, man, we love Casey's pizza. You know, we're trying to get our wives to get it. And I love it, too. We've joked. What we're going to do is we're going to buy this pizza sometime and we're going to go get a fancy box and just slide it in the fancy box and not tell them. Like, it, it new pizza place. They'll hopefully, probably think it's the greatest pizza they've had. Hopefully Megan's not watching the show today and then she'll be able to, <laughs> she'll know what's coming. She will for sure. Um, but no, I, that is important. So I think the third part is the most meaningful part of it is take care of your responsibilities, priorities, but then do what you want to do after that. I listened to a Dave Ramsey um, uh, YouTube video the other day and the guy called in and you know, I've followed Dave Ramsey for years. Yeah, I was one of his EOPs for a long time. And the guy called in and said, I want to buy a $220,000 car. So automatically, before yeah. I listen to this. Dave's saying no. That's I'm what you're like, thinking, right? Dave is yeah, like, yeah. no way is he letting this guy buy a $220,000 car. You know, and, and I don't remember. He's got another guy on there with him who's kind of helping. And they start asking this guy some questions. You know, typical questions. Hey, how much do you make? Oh, we make 550000 a year. You know, okay, what's your debt like? Well, we don't have any debt except for the house, like 250 grand. How much do you have in the bank? We got 250,000 in the bank. What's your investment portfolio? We got 2.1 million in mutual funds and 1.7 million in 401k. You know, so they're killing it, right? Yeah. I mean, they're doing everything right. But I'm still saying, Dave is saying no, because from a financial aspect, this car is probably the worst investment they'll make unless it's some collector car, which could be. We never got to that point. And I was surprised. Dave said, yeah, I think you can afford that car. See, even Dave Ramsey will let you. Even Dave Ramsey yeah. will let you buy a $220,000 car. Now, that said, he made one caveat. Okay. What do you well, think it was? That they don't finance it. Well, okay, there's two. Got to pay okay. cash. Yeah, he wanted them pay, wanted to pay, pay the house cash. off, too. So you got to pay your house off first. Oh, and so pay the house Yeah, off. so he said, hey, pay the house off first, which makes sense. I mean, if you're sitting on a quarter million bucks and you owe 320, pay the house off. You'll have the new car. Like they said, you'll have that new car in two years. Like, it's no big deal. But he made him wait a little bit. But he gave them, you know, the stamp of approval to buy the new car. There but I go. thought that was a good good example of, for this gentleman, he'd always wanted this. He'd wanted this car for, like, 15 years. And he'd worked hard and got there. And at least... I was, I, I thought it was cool that Dave said, yeah, you can have that car. Cause most financial people will be like, 
Oh no, that's the dumbest too thing you've ever. Too expensive, yeah. and Cars it's not are terrible investment. I just thought it was cool that Dave gave these people the golden stamp of approval to buy the car. And one thing that I never realized about his kind of, you know, he's got his baby steps out there. And if you go to our website, we've got our freedom guide, which is similar, but it's the steps that we like, which is pay yourself first, get out of debt, all those different things. So if you want to download our guide, go to btwellshow.com and it'll walk you through our steps. With that said, one thing I never realized about his, his kind of steps was how to determine how much of a car you can buy if you're going to pay cash. Okay, so how, I guess I don't know. Fifty percent of your annual salary. So 15% if you're fifteen percent, fifty percent, like that's okay. the car that you shouldn't buy more than that car. So if you have to make a hundred thousand, fifty thousand is like the max. You make thirty grand, fifteen thousand. We still got to pay cash. That's higher than I would think. You I would, but yeah. if you pay cash, I guess it doesn't matter. So with that right. said, um, there's a last part in this book, Elias. Let's talk about those myths that are discussed in the book and I'll kind of chime and give my opinion because I know what these are. I wanted to talk about these. So what's the first one? Yeah. So the first myth is you need to make more money and you'll be rich. And I can tell you right now, cause I'm, I'm 32. So been in my career for just 10 years. And, um, I know when you're in your twenties, cause I, friends of mine, people I know, um, you know, I just need to make more money and then, things will start to work better. Um, so talk about that myth and then what you think about that and, and then what the book talked about too. We'd all agree clearly that if you make more money, you may be better off, but it will not make you rich. You're gonna you make might your, be. You might be. Yeah. You're gonna make yourself rich. And this is the whole idea that young people, when they start, they get started off on the wrong foot. Let's think about typical college student. They come out of college, they got X amount of debt, 30, 50, $70,000 of debt. Yep. What's the first thing most recent college graduates do when they get their first job? What's the first purchase so, they make? A lot of times you get your first job. So now you need that nice car to go with Bingo. your first job. Bingo. And you go sit down with the finance department and they're like, oh no, you can afford a $40,000 vehicle. Yeah. They don't ask how much you can afford. They ask how much payment can you afford? That's right. different than saying, can you buy a $40,000 car or can you afford $322 a month? Right. Right. It's totally different. <laughs> yeah. So they're already started off on the wrong foot. So they're behind the eight ball. If, if they took the mentality of paying themselves first, well, they wouldn't have to make more money. If, if you save 15% of your check from the day you started, making more money would increase your savings, but you're already going to be rich. Right. Because little small amounts of money will make you rich. And if you go to um, the website, uh, we can reference the book or something and show, hey, there's some charts that show, you know, how money compounds in our actual in our um, in our freedom guide. There's a chart in there that shows if you start at this age, how much money will actually grow to over time. It's part of that pay yourself first. So making more money won't make you rich. You're going to make yourself rich by saving more money. Yep. And that's the only way you're going to become rich. And I think there's this it's happening today with like GameStop and AMC and all these people, Bitcoin, they think they're gonna hit a home run. Like they believe getting rich is hitting a home run. Yeah, it's a get rich quick scheme. It doesn't right. work. They right. all fail eventually. Some people will, very few. The way to get rich is $1 at a time. Yep, yep. So that brings us to our next myth. Um, it takes money to make money. So what what is he getting at here? And I guess, what are your thoughts on this? We've always heard this, like, oh, the rich get richer and all the, and, and that's probably true at some level. 
But what they're getting at is in the book, Zoe says, hey, I just don't have enough money to make a difference or I don't make enough money to make a difference. And that's not true. It starts slowly over time. So the people use an excuse. Well, you know, you know, putting twenty five dollars in or one hundred dollars, what's that going to do? Well, yeah, if you do it one time, it's not going to do anything. But if you make it a consistent part of your lifestyle, you can become rich without starting out with. 20 and 50 and a hundred and half a million dollars. Yeah. And we should mention, so Zoe, the main character of this book, she's 27 years old in this book. So, you know, especially young people, twenties and thirties to think, well, a hundred, a hundred dollars a month isn't going to do anything. Um, that's probably not true. And, you know, yes, I agree with what, you know, the rich get richer and yes, the more money you have, the easier it is. But, you can make a big difference with small amounts of money over the long term. So and that so let's go into the third myth he talks about. Um, and that one is someone else will take care of you. And what he was getting at in the book is your financial life, your savings, making the things that you want to do. Um, that's up to you to do it. No one else is going to make sure you save the right amount of money. No one else is going to make sure like in her case, you buy the $1,200 photograph that you want to buy or take a class that you want to take. Um, so what are some of your thoughts on that and insights as to the myth? Someone else will take care of you. We see this a lot, right? You have a couple comes in, one person does all the money, one yeah. person's uninvolved. And they and there's an example in the book. There's a husband and a wife. He was an oil baron in Oklahoma. They were super yeah. overextended. And the wife, Georgia had no idea what was going on until one day, like they were bust. They lost everything. They lost everything. And the whole idea was that if she had been involved, she had no idea how far in debt they were. Had she been involved, maybe that wouldn't happen, but she just believed her husband was going to make sure everything was okay. So, you know, yeah, we trust the people we're with, but you can't take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure things are going the way you want them to go in life versus that of others. And the other thing is I hear this a lot. Well, you know, I'm going to get an inheritance. Maybe. But it might go to the nursing home. Right. It could go to From a lot who? of different places. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, just don't ever plan on somebody else taking care of you. So why not take care of yourself first? Like, just take care of yourself. Worry about what you need to do to be successful. And if you get inheritance, great. If your significant other does a great job saving, that's a bonus. But yeah. just make sure you're doing what you need to first. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I think everybody should read this book because it's literally three simple things that can be very impactful on your life. Just from the, the idea of saving money, letting it grow, but enjoying your lifestyle and knowing that drinking a latte is not the reason you won't be a millionaire. So can I throw out a disclaimer about the book? No, this is going to fall in the line. This is going to fall in the lines of simple, Boring, straightforward investment <laughs> advice. I like it. That's I like proven it. to work. So here's here's where we're gonna end with because I pulled one quote out of out of this book that I think kind of summarizes it best. And if everybody kind of thought about this and lived by this, they'd have a great life. You know how to make your dreams come true? You buy them one dollar at a time. I like it. So with that said, um, if anybody out there needs some help getting started on their plan, it's btwellshow.com. Elias or I would be happy to help you with that. Um, If you do us a favor, if you like the videos, please hit the subscribe and like button. uh, And oh, by the way, I don't want to forget Elias' movie corner. 
So if there's a movie you want to see if Elias has actually watched, send us an email, give us a call, you know, send me a message on whatever platform you like. We'll, we'll put it on the poll and we'll talk about it next episode. So that said, I want to thank everybody for listening until next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.